You're listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, the weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today we are talking about real world evidence and the viewpoint of the FDA on it. Stay tuned for a really, really good discussion with Josie Farrell And by the way, this is part one of it. There is hardly any other topic that is so hot like real world evidence. It goes into so, so many different perspectives. And of course, combining this hot topic with the viewpoint of the FDA on it makes it super hot. So I'm really glad to have Josie on the call today. She's an expert in real world evidence and has worked on it quite a lot. And we are talking about what the FDA currently thinks about it, what is currently out there and um, what is currently hot in that regard. So stay tuned for this really, really good episode. By the way, we had so much content that we split it into two episodes. So this is part one. Part two, you know, you need to wait a little bit or maybe by the time you listen to this, the second part is also published, then just scroll a little bit in your podcast player to find part two as well. Otherwise, you just need to wait a little bit for this. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. And PSI is doing a lot in terms of real-world evidence. There is, for example, the Real-World Data Special Interest Group. So if you want to learn more about this, head over to psiweb.org and you'll find there's this special interest group as well as other special interest groups that might be of interest for you. And now let's dive into the content. Welcome to another episode of The Effective Statistician. And today I have Josie with me and we will talk about the FDA and about real data, which is a really, really hot topic. I recently had an episode with um, Rachel Tum and um, we published it 1st of March. And within two weeks, we had over 1,000 downloads, which is amazing given that, you know, very often episodes get to kind of five, 600 after a couple of months. So you can see it's a really, really hot topic. So the more I'm really happy to have Josie with me today. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. And you? Very, very good. Maybe you can start a little bit with an introduction of yourself, how you got into the industry and how especially you got into uh, real-world data. Um, yes, sure. So, um, hi, Josie Wolfram. I work for Estella's Pharma and in my current role, I lead a small team uh, focused on leveraging real-world data to support development projects um, across sort of various different use cases. I, I made this leap to focusing on real world evidence three to four years ago. So 
given that I joined the industry 25 years ago, I guess it's a relatively sort of short part of, of my career. Uh, and previously, I was focused on providing statistical support to drug development and also uh, uh, marketed products with the, the large part of that focus being on clinical trials. Um, however, over the years, I did get the chance to sort of experience what real world data can offer in a few sort of interesting ways. Um, and most particularly, I was involved in a couple of post-approval safety studies, which, mm -hmm. yeah, I found fascinating and sort of opened up this sort of whole new world of different methods and different sort of opportunities that leveraging real world data can provide. Yeah, so that kind of piqued my interest. And then, you know, in a, in a company reorg, the opportunity to change departments came up. And yeah, so I was uh, excited to do that. And, and uh, yeah, have a look back. <laughs> That's cool. So, so you're from an organizational structure. You don't report into the statistics department anymore, but, but into the real world evidence or. Such yes, that's right. So I sit within the oh, okay. uh, the real world data and evidence group, which uh, for our organisation sits within a, a division called An Advanced Informatics and Analytics. Uh, but I work quite closely with my statistical colleagues still, and I think you know having made that move, it helps kind of build a bridge there as well between uh, these, these two different groups, since we have a lot in common and it's you know important as well to work together. Yeah, and so statistics is then probably more in the op operational R&D type of space, not so much in, in this advanced analytics space, is it? It sits within the development organization, yes. Yeah. I hesitate to say in operational organization. <laughs> <laughs> They are recognized for their strategic contributions. Yeah, yeah. I I know it's a it's a pity that very often statistics organizations kind of are cornered, so to say, in these parts of the uh, of the bigger pharma organizations. And it's it's not unusual that you see these kind of splits in terms of responsibilities. But and the more even important important it is to um, work closely together and and uh, break down any silos that are there is within different companies. Yeah, fully, fully agree. And I think with so many topics, there's always this tension between specialization and, you know, having kind of generalists. So it's, uh, yeah. And actually, maybe, uh, before we continue, uh, please let me share my, my disclaimer, actually, having introduced the company I work for. Yes, for sure. <laughs> um, so I, I must say that the opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of, of myself and not necessarily those of Estellas, and Estellas does not guarantee the accuracy or reliability of the information provided herein. Okay, very, very good. Let's shortly talk about um, a really cool thing that you actually co-lead together with any, and that is uh, Real World Data Special Interest Group. How has that come to, to place? Right, so actually that's that's kind of the role... I have that's led to us having this conversation today. Uh, so together with Annie Starry, I'm co-leading the PSI Real World Data SIG, which started, I think, about this time last year. I'm not sure I can completely answer how it came into place because, you know, I think I saw that it was being formed, that Annie, um, who I also knew you know, from, from being a colleague in the past, was leading it, and I reached out and, and, and joined the group. Um, and then started to co-lead with her a little bit further down the line. 
Uh, that is so cool. Yeah, it's it's exactly this type of community that makes PSI so great and that helps us to to work so effectively within PSI. Uh, we know each other, and then when there's some kind of common interest, you can form these platforms to work together. And so if you're interested in this space, just call Josie or Annie, send an email, and maybe you can want to join this, uh, this group, uh, with us. Lots of very interesting discussions. There's also, you know, ongoing meetings. There's, um, uh, contributions to conferences, webinars set up and, and things like this. But it's also, you know, you can learn so much about real world data in these kind of things. So it, you don't necessarily need to be, you know, super experts with 20 years of experience to actually join it. Um, if you have a passion for it, you have interest for it, you want to contribute, you want to move things forward, then that's a great place to start. Okay. So just a little bit of promotion about the special interest group. <laughs> um, Let's talk about real-world data, and especially today, we want to focus about the FDA perspective on it, which I think is, is a great thing. Having real-world data and FDA in one title is usually the guarantee for, for having lots of lots of attention. So let's start first with when the FDA talks about real-world data. What actually do they talk about? Yeah, so will FDA have a, a definition of real world data that they, you know, mention in their real world evidence framework document and their recently released draft guidances? So the FDA definition of real world data is, and I'll quote, data relating to patient health status and or the delivery of healthcare routinely collected from a variety of sources. And, you know, they give examples of what those sources can be patients' electronic health records, medical insurance claims data, as well as data coming from product and disease registries. It can be patient-generated data, including from in-home use or data gathered from other sources that can inform on health status, such as digital health technologies. So I think the likelihood here is that the data isn't being collected primarily for the purpose that you're going to use it for, that you're making, you know, what's called secondary use of that data. But it's not necessarily that way, isn't it? So it's data relating to patient health status is actually a, a pretty broad thing, isn't it? So how would that kind of, if you would have, for example, patient reported outcomes, is that part of real-world data? Potentially, isn't it? I guess potentially, yes. Yes, it is. So, yeah, I focused here perhaps on, you know, data reuse, uh, but some would also see data collected for, for primary use as real world data, as long as you're not sort of intervening in the patient's care, such as perhaps randomizing a treatment or, or let's say taking that care away from what would happen to them kind of just under real world treatment if you weren't enrolling them in, in an experiment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think definitions of real-world data vary according to who's making them. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's, there's, there's quite interesting things. If you, for example, look into the ISPO guideline, they make a more kind of definition based on how you collect data and not so much on what data you collect. 
And here the, the FDA, I think, more focuses on what, not how. And the how comes kind of a little bit later, isn't it? This is kind of is more, although as they say, it's, you know, in the FDA perspective, they, they mentioned that it's likely kind of secondary, but it's not necessarily only, isn't it? How would you read it? I, I think you're right that it's not necessarily sort of secondary use. I think when we look across the set of guidelines, there's a sort of suggestion that at least part of your data probably is secondary use. Secondary use, yeah. But you may, you know, complement that with with additional data that you can sort of collect more through a primary route to to complement. Yeah. And then the next step is how do we get from real-world data to real-world evidence? So uh, their definition for real-world evidence is the clinical evidence about the usage and potential benefits or risks of a medical product derived from analysis of real-world data. I think that's a you know a fairly clear definition, and, and I, it's useful to distinguish clearly uh, between the data itself and the evidence that you derive thereof from those data. But the the you know the two definitions are very very closely intertwined that way yeah it's kind of i've once seen something like real world data plus the right statistical tools leads to real world evidence and so do, do you agree with that that kind of equation or is there anything else in it real world data plus the right statistical tools equals real world evidence i agree with that but i think you probably have to add the right sort of study design to it mm-hmm. and so you know your your sort of research question and objectives should come first and then that drives whether you've selected the right real world data and the statistical analysis to to derive your evidence yep that's a good point you kind of see the framework see the strengths of the data and all this kind of things play a role in the real world evidence because well even here with sophisticated methods, um, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, that's great. I think the, the other is about the usage and potential benefits or risks of a medical product. So it speaks about three parts. You're not only about benefit risk ratio, but also how it's used. When you see this word usage, what kind of questions come to your mind that this could be about? I think the you know the usage of a product in practice can be related to perhaps what the intended usage was. I mean, yeah, if we're talking about something that's already marketed, mm. is it being sort of used in accordance with the uh, with the label? Um, just sort of understanding the nature of the population that's really receiving a given treatment. Mm-hmm. How long are they receiving it for? Uh, what what doses are they receiving? The cumulative dose. So I think that sort of whole picture about the actual usage uh, of, of treatments when they're on the market. You know, real world data is very valuable. Yeah, I think this is being able to answer that question. In fact, it's sort of the unique way to really. <laughs> I think this is really really fascinating because um, that gives you data that you don't get from clinical trials that you don't get from uh, from lots of other things. And that can help you understand, for example, maybe safety events that you see. Yeah, So that maybe uh, 
in real life much higher doses are used yeah or much um, higher frequencies of doses or that maybe patients treated that are that have additional kind of comorbidities or other concomitant therapies and all kind of different things and that that may lead to mainly to safety events you know, that you haven't seen before. And so I think that is really, really important uh, to, to have this, this data. Awesome. Let's go a little bit more into the guidance itself. Um, I'd say there are three big topics in this guidance. W what are these about? Yeah, so, well, there were this set of, set of four guidance documents that were, that were released in four consecutive months last year between September and December. So, you know, here we're, we're talking about that first one on using electronic health records and medical claims to support regulatory decision making for drugs or biologics. And actually, this is the largest and I think the most complex of the, <laughs> of the set of guidance recently, recently released. And they organized that into three major themes, as you say. And these were data sources, study design elements, and data quality. Uh, so that sort of first big theme on data sources discusses the general nature of claims and electronic health records, let me just say EHR, which I'll probably mix with EMR now and then, <laughs> data, um, and also the limitations that come with those data types. And yeah, they talk about, you know, what are the important elements you must consider in deciding if a given data source will meet the needs of your study. Then in terms of the study design elements, that's really about the ascertainment and the validation of the key building blocks for your study. So, so that is the real world evidence study, so to say, yeah? Yeah, the real world evidence study. Though I think here they, they don't talk so much about sort of study design from a statistical perspective. They've indicated that there's likely to be further guidance in that space. It's more about, you know, the definitions of the critical concepts like your exposure definition, your your covariates, your population and your outcomes um, and sort of proper properties around those definitions and how the data is able to, to support those. Yeah, that is really good. The, in terms of these three aspects, I think covariates and outcomes endpoints, that's a pretty clear thing. And we use, know that from clinical trials. Exposure is a very, very different beast if you look into real world data, isn't it? Well, you, you need to know that the exposure you're interested in studying can be reliably ascertained from your, your data source. So, you know, say you're using medical records data and you don't see evidence that they received a certain treatment in that data source. Are you confident they didn't receive the treatment? Yeah. Uh, an obvious, obvious example might be a drug that's available over the counter. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're going to misclassify them as sort of not exposed to your treatment when actually they were. Yeah. And then, yeah, understanding you know, being able to make sure you connect the indication that they received the exposure for within your data source so that, well, that, that's changing topic a little bit more to your inclusion exclusion criteria, but there's that aspect. Whether you know the dose, maybe they were prescribed the treatment. Do you have evidence that they actually filled that prescription and took it? That's, that's not a unique problem, actually, in clinical trials, I guess. You also have the issue of, did they? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. There's a 
the pill count topic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah, that's that's really interesting. Yeah. So I think when you look into these kind of aspects, yeah, don't just kind of glance over them. Yeah, that's clear, clear, clear. It's actually not. Uh, there's this uh, much more kind of thought to to be put in than than in a clinical trial where you just write things into your protocol and then you know it's collected that way. It's usually not. <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. And you know, in this guidance document, FDA they really put a lot of emphasis on defining your concept definition or case definition for for exposure for outcomes. And then also, how are you going to sort of validate that the, your operational definition is really pulling out the concept that you want it to? Yeah. And they're, they're really sort of seeking information on what you've done to validate that. Have you taken ideally all, if not some random sample of your patients and then compared some kind of alternative data source or source notes versus um, what you've, you know, derived through your operational definitions to, yeah, to assess whether you've classified the patients correctly and to quantify any misclassification you have. Yeah. Um, you know, we're talking about sensitivity, specificity, positive predictive value, negative predicted value. So these, uh, you know, measures that help quantify, yeah, the, the extent of, yeah. you know, misclassification you may have. Yeah. Or can you rely on some other research that was done um, in the, maybe in the same field? Yeah. That someone else did that already for you and published it. And you can just kind of reuse certain things. Yeah. That is really good. What's the third topic? The third topic is data quality. And um, so, well, data quality is, is sort of what it says in the, t on the tin. <laughs> um, is the quality of the data sort of sufficient to support your study? And they give points for sort of examining data quality really over the course of the data life cycle and outline, you know, what information FDA would like to have available to them to enable their evaluation of data quality. So they, they, they recommend automated data quality reports be generated and yeah, I mean, from the, you know, from a clinical trial perspective, I think we're familiar with FDA inspections, sort of starting from that data collection point and wanting to follow that journey right through to your report. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, that same thinking is applying here in the, the real world data space. They want to be able to, to be assured of that data integrity from source through to, to use in the study. Yeah. I think here the complexity yeah, comes in the ecosystem because it's not just the sponsor <laughs> that collected that data. You know, it's come through vendors and then, you know, sort of chains of de-identification. So, yeah. Yeah. It's not like, it's not as easy as with clinical trials, for sure. The other point, it's also, it's not stable. Yeah. A clinical trial will finished, locked, done. Real world evidence is, especially when you look into claims data and all these kind of things, it's, it's, uh, these databases are updated on a, on a continuous basis. So that's another piece that is very, very different to, to clinical trials. And so having that in, uh, in mind is, is important. Data quality is, is a really, really big thing always for, for real world data. And, there are two 
things that are kind of coming up again and again in the guidance. There's reliability and relevance. What's that actually? Right. As you say, these terms do appear uh, in, in many places through, through their guidance documents and actually have sort of sub-definitions within them. They have a glossary where they define all these terms, which is <laughs> a useful reference point. Um, so with reliability of real-world data, they're talking about data accuracy, data completeness, data provenance, and data traceability. And each of those terms also in and of themselves have sort of definitions. So, so yeah, the reliability is getting at the, the quality of the data and the ability to demonstrate that, that quality as well. Okay. Yeah. And I think here quality is not kind of a tick box kind of. High quality, no quality. It's kind of probably more a granular uh, assessment in terms of quality, is it? I think you're right. And I think it has to relate to the intended objectives of the study itself. So, you know, perhaps you have quality for one study and perhaps not for the other study, according to, yeah, which yeah. parts of the, 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 the data you're using. Yeah, and you can also probably assess kind of what's the, what's the likely impact of the quality is. Yeah. So will it, for example, likely tend to overestimate or underestimate something? Yeah. In which direction is the bias going? These kind of things. Uh, is it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think if you look through some of the comments that have been sort of publicly shared by, you know, the various groups that have commented the guideline and um, you know this this question of what they mean by quality sort of comes up and there's you know requests to give perhaps more detail on what a quality report really needs to have mm -hmm. in it and also encouragements to take a sort of risk-based approach to to looking at that mm -hmm. and as you say in terms of you know what's the impact on on, on potential bias from the study and that sort of thing. yeah yeah that's that's a really good point so so for for one aspect it might be Good enough for another aspect as might be not good enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. What about uh, relevance? Which is a, I'm not sure I've heard that term very often within statistics other than relevant clinically meaningful differences or something, <laughs> something like this. So, so what's, what's relevance? Uh, so relevance is referring to the availability of key data elements that are needed for your study, um, as well as sufficient numbers of representative patients. So perhaps you could see the sort of data reliability is almost an attribute more of the data. And then the relevance is where it's really sort of bringing in how that data source relates to your objectives. So when, when they talk about the availability of the key data elements, those elements are the exposure, the outcomes, and also information on important covariates and most particularly information on confounders. So those are variables that might influence both the choice of treatment for a patient and their outcome. And you need to have those present to be able to, you know, adjust for that using appropriate statistical methods to, to support inferences about the treatment. So that's sort of relevance in terms of having the right data elements. And then even if you have those key data elements, if there's not enough patients in there that fit your target population, then 
that's a bit like your clinically relevant difference. If, if your clinically relevant difference is, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever, too, too small for the number of patients you're going to have available, then, then of course, it's not going to support that. Yeah. And I think these, uh, looking into, uh, availability of covariates is, is a really, really important thing because in clinical trials, we can, you know, just include them in the protocol and kind of think about them. Yeah. All the things that could be important. Let's, let's collect that. But that's not the case in real world data. And so, yeah, that's, that's an important thing. The guidelines speak specifically about four issues which needs to be addressed to determine reliability and relevance. Um, can you speak a little bit to these ones? Um, yes. So they, they speak about the appropriateness and potential limitations of the data source for the study question um, and to support those key study elements that, that we described. Uh, they talk about the time periods for ascertainment of the study design elements. So, you know, when you uh, collect data prospectively, then your sort of time periods are clear, you know, their first visit is your baseline or whatever. But here, if you're particularly, if you uh, have a retrospective study, then you have to de define what those, those time periods are. Yeah, that's just really an important thing. In this previous episode with, with Rachel, I talked, we talked quite a lot about the index date. Ah, yes. <laughs> and that is, that's, that's an art and a science, <laughs> but for sure you need to really deeply understand your data and uh, know kind of what is really baseline, where where do patients start, how you can you know align all the different patients, yeah, in in a certain way. In clinical trials, they're automatically aligned through the study design. Uh, that's not the case in uh, in real world data, and especially if you could have you know. Look into diseases that are chronic for a very long time and say, you know, go on drug and off drug and, and all kind of different things happens and then it can be quite difficult. Yeah. And particularly for your comparator group. So you may say index data starting your exposure of interest, but if you want to compare them to patients that don't receive that exposure, then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when didn't they? <laughs> yeah. You can't track for when did they start placebo. <laughs> right. Um, what is the third point? Um, the third point is around the conceptual definitions and operational definitions for the study design elements. So they use these two terms of conceptual and operational definitions. Um, again, they're, they're used throughout the document. And, you know, your conceptual definition is the concept you're trying to capture, your operational definition is what codes in what vocabulary are you going to look for in what table in your data. So, yeah, it's kind of the, the former is more what would be in the protocol and the latter is more what would be in the SAP, so to say. Yeah. 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 And, and these definitions are needed for the, for the key elements, which are, again, the inclusion exclusion criteria that define your study population, the exposure, the outcomes, the covariates. So these sort of four critical pieces. Mm -hmm. Let's go to the last of the four, four issues that the guideline talks about, which is, has to do with quality assurance and quality control. How's that plays a role here? So, well, this is sort of coming back to the data quality topic that we were talking about just before. So, 
you know, those procedures that are in place that document the data accrual, the curation and the transformation into the final study specific data set. So how that the journey that data takes from from you know patient through to your final analytic data set. Yeah. So kind of what usually is done by data management in, in clinical trials. Right. But I guess here it's much more you need to have much more kind of statistical input into it uh, because yeah, it's just not that straightforward. <laughs> it's much more messy, much more messy. Okay, very good. We already talked quite a lot about all kind of different things around this, this guidance. And to be honest, in the outline, we have a kind of at least enough material for yet another episode on, on, on all this topic <laughs> uh, because it's it's such a rich topic yeah we talked about uh, what actually is real world data and what is real world evidence and how that is uh, looked from an F fda perspective and so on compared it also to to other definitions uh, we looked at about kind of what are the three big topics of this guidance that is about, you know, uh, data sources, study design elements and data quality and uh, talked about two, two, you know, key things, reliability and, and relevance uh, in this data topic. So I'm pretty sure we could move on to talk for another uh, hour about this. <laughs> but given that we are already quite long into the episode, let's let's have a cut here. And thanks so much, Josie, for, for this awesome discussion. Maybe any final recommendations that you would give to a reader if, uh, or to a listener, if uh, the listener would like to read this, what would be your kind of number one recommendation? Is it kind of starting with the definitions in the background or how would you kind of, what would be your guidance for a reader? Oh, wow. That's a, a great question. Perhaps it depends on the level of experience. I think if you're perhaps quite new to the to the area, indeed, starting with those definitions um, is is a good place to start. I'm sure you know some more experienced colleagues that perhaps have a particular interest in the data quality area or in the validation area are likely to sort of zoom into those areas. Mm. Um, I think the other sort of big area that's interesting that we didn't talk about so much is the the importance of pre-specification, yeah. of early consultation and some of these themes. So um, I would also you know, call out to the reader to keep an eye on what the expectations are from that perspective too. Yeah, maybe you can do another episode about this. <laughs> oh, I would be delighted. <laughs> okay, so watch out for, for more to come about this topic uh, in the future. Thanks so much, Josie. Thank you. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain and Casey, who helped with the show in the background, and thank you for listening. Reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician. Music